This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Friday, May 31st, 2019, Class of 1975 edition. There's Adam Hall. Yep, right over here. I'm Nico. Yep. We are your hosts, taking you through the history of American cinema. Yeah. As we do valiantly each and every week. I'm exhausted, man. You're tired? I'm tired. I got a bad headache. Why? It's, it's just it was just a long, boring day, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I so that's why I spent you know a good portion of the day uh, watching Three Days of the Condor. Oh, good. At work, you know, that's always fun. <laughs> That'll lift your spirits. Uh, and then the previous day, uh, I I I spent watching in quotes Nashville, and that was interesting, and we'll get to that. But yeah, no, like for for whatever reason, like I've just been exhausted trying to figure out watching just these two movies. Trying to figure out what your opinions are on these two. No, movies? no, I know my opinions on these <laughs> movies pretty clearly. But Jesus, like, like you know, I I shouldn't even say these movies. There's only one movie specifically that was that it's going to be kind of funny to talk about. But okay. yeah, it's it's just like oh boy, I feel like I just got over something, and in between that, I was watching Chernobyl. Oh which, word, which was which was making me much happier. So, okay, how about you do like your two minutes on Chernobyl right now? Because I haven't watched it yet, and it's a sin that I have not watched it. I think it's, oh God, Chernobyl is absolutely breathtaking. Wow. It's phenomenal, but it's 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 incredibly dark. I mean, obviously, it's disturbing as all hell. It's really chilling, but it's like, it's like atmosphere like you've never experienced before. I, I texted you about it, and I said that it's scarier than hereditary. Right. <laughs> but I, that first episode, man... Oh my god, is that shit chilling as fuck? It's it's essentially, you know, like you y- you take this event, which I know, you know, I have some understanding of it, but I don't know all the ins and outs. I certainly don't know what it was like from the the man perspective, the ground. Oh god, and I mean, this one gets very close and very intimate, and to a point that's you know, it's oh my god. It's it's not the kind of thing that I would have thought would have been nearly as disturbing as it actually is, both on a level of what actually happened, but also uh, like how people responded to it and what they had to do to fix this problem. And it's it's sort of uh, it's like you can't believe any of this actually really happened, but it did. But it's told like a horror movie. That first episode honestly feels like a horror movie. It okay. really does, like because it's it, it's the the threat of the unseen, the the fact that you know because obviously I mean people know what happened generally at Chernobyl. There was a an, an explosion that caused that caused a meltdown, and, and Godzilla came out of the ground. Right, that's what happened. Precisely. Yeah. Well, if we're talking Shin Godzilla, that's a, kind of exactly what that movie's oh, about. Jesus. We'll get into that later. No, we won't. Um, yes, we will. <laughs> gladly we will not. Not not on this podcast. <laughs> but um, no, I was gonna say um. Yeah, no, just the threat of radiation in, in just that first episode. It's like I was like like when I, when I stopped watching that episode, I genuinely felt scared to walk around my house. Wow. <laughs> Cuz you just feel it in the room with you. It's wow. it's so perfect. Even when you go outside and you just look up into the air, even though I know that there hasn't been any sort of nuclear disaster happen recently at all, I still get the, the thought in my head like, "Oh god, I'm afraid of the fucking air." Wow. It, it it's so eerily oh my god it's so effectively it's it's like nothing i've ever experienced before in television it's really freaky stuff and i mean you just know that something's always wrong and you're always questioning why people are doing things but they they have to do them and then 
when the film explains what was actually going on, you're like, oh my God, like, how are these people still like walking? How did they not have like five limbs growing out of their face? Like that kind of shit. Like there's a scene where they look directly into a reactor core. And if you know anything about what happened to Chernobyl when the reactor core was exposed, it's essentially shooting up the the equivalent of like 15 million x-rays into the air. Uh-huh. And they just like poke their head straight in like, oh, what's going on? Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's on fire. All right, we'll just run away now. And it's, oh, oh, it's just chilling stuff. I love it though. Oh my god! And then, of course, I've 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 caught up, so I'm on episode four now, and there's going to be a fifth one coming out soon. And again, what, what nights are they on? Is it Sundays? I thought it was. Did it Sunday. take the Game of Thrones slot? It might have. Yeah. Okay. But it's just. I'll like, try catching up by then. But where are the characters going? Again, like I said, how they are because the whole thing is essentially them trying to figure out a problem, and if they don't figure it out fast they're all going to die and the many steps that are slowly revealed to us as to how they actually have to solve this issue is just nerve-wracking because it's like how is this even possible like how can you possibly fix this without you know essentially killing everybody how is everybody not going to die essentially is what i'm thinking it's oh god it's great it's really tense shit and that first like i said that first episode is just it's a it's a nightmare i love it though um you've sold me it's ble- <laughs> you've sold me. It's very bleak, Nico. It's, yeah, it's very depressing. It's kind of Fincher esque. Okay, not not obviously it's not Fincher, but you you you'll you definitely who's see in that. it? Uh, Stone Skarsgård, uh, Jared Harris, uh, some English actress who I've seen in a shit ton of things, but I don't actually know her name. Uh, the kid who uh, arbitrarily dies on the boat in Dunkirk. Okay, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Yes. Is it George? I think it's George. We're going to war, George. I think it's George. George, little George, who dies for some reason. That fell down the flight of stairs. So stupid. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's in it, and he's very good. Okay. Uh, who else is in it? I've seen a lot of people, actually, that I recognize. And um, I feel like I'm missing someone. Is this the one with Bradley Whitford? Or is he in something else? Nah. He's not in no, it? No, I don't I thought so. I saw a trailer with no. him in it. Okay. No. Everyone's awesome in it, by the way. They're just so freaking awesome so this is a rare example of a show that you are recommending to me yeah the tables have turned in a crazy because normally i am all over this shit and i've heard a lot of positive things about chernobyl oh it's you might find it slightly dour because it, it's okay. i mean it's it honestly it's hard to escape that with the subject matter i kind of right. knew that going in so based on the fact that i was prepared for that i was like okay i'm willing to accept how depressing this is actually going to be right and yeah well it, it's it does not pull punches even in the slightest especially when they get into the hospital scenes oh my god it it's- did sort of look like the hboification of history and they've done that like like with band of brothers and the pacific and uh john adams the miniseries mm-hmm. with uh, paul giamatti and I'm, like, cool with all of those shows. They're totally fine, but they all sort of have a similar rhythm to them. And so when I saw Chernobyl, I was like, oh, do I need another history lesson with a few more boobs? Because it's premium cable. No boobs. But from what I understand... (laughs) A lot lot of dicks. And definitely based on your (laughs) review of it, it's a lot more atmospheric and a lot more horrifying than some of those shows. Oh, my God. No, this is the scariest thing I've seen since... Maybe heredit, maybe before Hereditary. This is the scariest thing I've seen in a long time, and it's not even trying to be scary. Right? It's just the it's story. Just history. It's just terrifying. Wow. Yes. In the yes, the the thing that really sells it for me is just the level of atmosphere. It's like craftsmanship that you just don't see 
ever, not even in film. And I'm just like, wow, I can't believe they're pulling this off. Wow. And the music in that – again, I, I, I'm citing the first episode because I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, that first episode with its music, and I don't know who came up with that stuff, but it is it, – it will. it's never going to leave my head. <laughs> I can't believe – you are smitten. Oh, there's a scene where – You are smitten with this miniseries, Adam Oh, Hall. God, it's awesome. Well, I was recommended <laughs> to it by Jabril because I know he's going to listen. Thank you so much, Jabril. I fucking love this show. Wow. But there's a scene – Did he also recommend Barry to you? Because no, Because the two yet. of us are huge fans of Barry. <laughs> Yes, we need to do that. Not yet, okay. but I, but I've heard only great things about Incredible that. Incredible show. But I was going to say, I want to cite one se- sequence in particular where they ask a, an engineer to go to the roof just to look inside. And I mean, at this point, everybody knows that the roof of the of Chernobyl has been completely blown off. It's like you don't need anyone to to, to confirm that for you. It's just just like look at it from like a, a couple thousand feet away, and you would know. And they're like, "Yeah, go to the roof and stick your head over the edge and see if there's anything coming out of it. See if the roof's still there." And that whole but the, I don't know what track they use, but it is one of the most haunting themes I've ever heard in a movie. It, or, Jesus, in a movie. Well, there you go. <laughs> wow. I'm serious. Oh, it's so frightening. All right. I need to do this. He, I did not expect to spend the first 10 minutes of this podcast talking about Chernobyl, but... Oh, God, I love it. And it it's sounds only, awesome. It, and it's only five episodes. Yeah. So you can breeze through it. All right. I'll do that. I'll try to catch up by this weekend. There's a lot of stuff coming on TV. So the, there's a the, Deadwood movie coming out. The, this, this show makes children in a playground scary. Wow. It makes hugging your loved one absolutely frightening. Man. It's All right. awesome. Stuff. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I will report back next week. It's, I think it's great. We'll talk about the family. I think it's great. Um, I don't want to kill too much more time because yeah. we have six movies to get to and they're going to be spirited conversations had oh, yeah. about these six movies i'm looking forward to it um i i want to do like two minutes on john wick chapter three okay which you have not seen but i saw this week with my parents mm-hmm. because my father is obsessed with these <laughs> movies like a level of obsession i don't think i've ever seen the only thing that he's this passionate about is tiger woods it's like tiger woods and the john wick franchise they are so near and dear to his heart okay um John Wick Chapter 3, spoiler, if you liked 1 and 2, you're going to dig Chapter 3. All right. Um, This one just, like, ratchets up the insanity (laughs) to level 11 uh, on the the old Spinal Tap uh, meter. It is nuts. Okay. There are scenes where horses kick assassins in the face. Like three times, I think there's a total of three assassins that are kicked in the face by the hind legs of a horse. What happens to their face? Uh, nothing good. You ever <laughs> see Gravity? <laughs> Remember the guy at the beginning of Gravity? Similar to that. Okay. okay. Um, there's a knife sequence, and it's the one that's been played up in the trailers, mm-hmm. where John Wick throws knives and swords at his uh, opponents. And it's one of the most thrilling action sequences I've ever seen. It's <laughs> okay. just insanely well choreographed and well done. These are becoming samurai movies. Each movie to me feels m- closer and closer to a Bruce Lee movie. Ah, uh, okay. Cool. Um, and there is a specific homage at the end of this movie to Bruce Lee. Keanu wants to be the next great samurai film star. All right. And he is... Uh, Achieving that on many levels, I will say. All right. It's an incredible... You will love it. All right. You love the first two. You will love chapter three. Um, Not like a ton of new story revelations, but enough to carry you through. Enough to keep you engaged. 
you know, the Halle Berry stuff is okay. And yeah. some of the stuff about Angelica Houston comes in as John Wick sort of maternal character. And you find out how he was trained and the, uh, the, the school of which he was raised. It's cool. There's some cool backstory stuff because John Wick is also this awesome universe and it's sprawling and it, mm-hmm. it seems endless. And that's what I love about John Wick chapter two. It's yeah. like the first one's just a fun action movie with awesome character actors. Mm-hmm. The second movie was like, how can we push this idea even further? And they do some stuff and it doesn't always work in chapter three. I'm not sure it's my favorite of the John Wick movies, but I can take like seven of these. Yeah, I know. I just want more. The only thing that was turning me off from it was uh, the Halle Berry thing. When She's I... barely in it. Okay. Cause... She's in it for like 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Because I saw that in the trailer. I was like, eh, I don't know if I want the Halle Berry in my John Wick films. So <laughs> I thought they were going to play up the romantic angle. Yeah. That's what it seemed like to me. They were going to finally give him a, a love interest. That's not what it is. Okay. She's just another assassin, and she has an awesome 20-minute fight sequence, because they're all awesome 20-minute fight sequences. Good. Um. And she, like, did a lot of her own stunts. She trained for, like, four months. And it shows. The the practical effects are amazing. Got to keep up with good old Keanu there, kicking ass. It's great. Good for him, too, for finding his franchise. Dude, he's in, like, his 50s. He's in his 50s, and he's in some of the greatest franchises ever, and he's still doing them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's found... No, because he's not very good in a lot of... Like, he's not particularly good in speed. No. As an uh, actor, you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's a good, d- decent physical performer. He, if they, if we were making silent films, he'd be fine. I guess. Point Break. <laughs> he's goofy in. Although yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. They found a way to make him a silent assassin. It works, and that's the key. Just stop Keanu from talking. Yes, I agree. Uh, John Wick Chapter Three. I would recommend that you see it. Okay, okay. here we go. 1975. All right. Here are your six. Movies nominated for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame. They are Three Days of the Condor, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, and Nashville. Those are your nominees, Adam. We have much to discuss. We did something unusual this uh, week. I don't think we've ever done it in the past. Yes. The two of us assigned ourselves homework Mm -hmm. two of these movies were movies that we had not seen and we went into them sight unseen it's a mixed bag we cannot guarantee that these are the six best movies of the year they were just our best guess and i think like there's going to be a lot of listeners that are asking why uh rocky horror isn't on here and why barry linden isn't on here yep and that's because those are two movies that we are not overly enthusiastic about and so we were looking for two movies that we suspected we would like more and we'll we'll discuss whether or not we were right yes we will so those two movies a their, their shadow is hanging over this podcast let's I don't say. I don't want to say I'm not enthusiastic about barry linden like I like barry linden I just don't for from what I understood I was like well I, from what I was, uh, from what I had understood, like it wasn't the Cooper film that we needed to nominate. You know, right. it's. I think it's. A, I think. In fact, I think it's a very good movie. But again, I there was something about it that was kind of holding me back. Again, we talk Kubrick a lot, and too. yes, you said that last time, and we're going to keep talking about Kubrick. There's just certain films that we simply can't avoid. But. Right. So yeah, we weren't we weren't that sentimental about Barry Lyndon. But again, so. it's very possible that I am still pro that decision or highly regret that decision. But we'll see. We'll get to it. Let's see. So here's a little bit about the year 1975. Highest grossing movie of that year. No surprise. 
Monty return Python return and the of Ga- the Pink Panther. No, it was it was Jaws. Jaws was the number one. It's movie. the it, Jaws is the movie. It's the yeah. blockbuster. Right. Uh, followed by Rocky Horror Picture Show, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Dog Day Afternoon at number four, and Shampoo at number five. Dog Day Afternoon at four. That's interesting. Pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Was a smashing success. Fun year for the Oscars. <laughs> I would have loved to have been around. Yeah. For the 1975 Academy Awards. This is a great one. So here are your nominees for Best Picture. Again, unbelievable. Nashville, Jaws, Dog Day Afternoon, Barry Lyndon, Cuckoo's Nest. Whoa. (laughs) Good list. Wow. They got it right. Yeah. It's funny, though, like, I, and I say this a lot about, like, Jaws specifically. It's not the kind of film that you would think would get nominated. It's essentially a monster movie. Sure. And it was nominated for Best Picture. Right. It's like, when you actually just look at it on the surface, it's like, oh, my God, that got nominated? Right. So. But it showed that they actually watched the movies. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, they really didn't nail it. Like, you mm-hmm. can, these are definitely the five most Oscar movies of that year. Like, I can accept that Monty Python isn't going to get nominated, even though I think it is one of the five best movies. Um but the rest of this list, like, awesome. Incredible. Yeah, I agree. And, of course, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest wins that year and is one of three movies to sweep the big five categories. Another monumental thing to happen. I would have loved to have been around in 1975 to watch mm-hmm. the Oscars. Uh, so that means Milos Foreman wins Best Director. It's Milos Foreman. Fuck off, dude. Uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson wins Best Actor. Uh, Louise Fletcher wins Best Actress. Mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor goes to George Burns for The Sunshine Boys. And Lee Grant wins Best Supporting Actress for Shampoo. By the way, another great Best Actor class. Yeah. You have Jack, Walter Matthau for The Sunshine Boys, (laughs) Pacino for Dog Day Afternoon, Maximilian Schell, I don't know who that is, for The Man in the Glass Booth, James Whitmore for Give Him Hell, Harry. Sweet. So there you go. They did a good job. 70s, man. 70s kicked ass. Turns out, kicks ass. Some honorable mentions. Yeah. Obviously, Rocky Horror and Barry Lyndon. The original Stepford Wives, which I have not seen, but... um, Neither have I. Yeah, I've seen the new one. It's all right. Yeah. Rollerball? The original Rollerball. Yeah. Oh, that one's okay. Okay. Return of the Pink Panther. One of my favorite Pink Panther movies. Mm -hmm. Peter Sellers. Awesome in that. I think that is the... uh, No, that's not... Does you dig bite? That is, uh, that's the monkey, the blind man and the monkey. The blind man and the monkey. <laughs> Death Race 2000? Oh my God. How did I forget about Death Race 2000? What a terrible movie. <laughs> that, but we got, we got to talk about that on, on another show that we do here. That's a good movie, man. Okay. And French Connection 2. I have not seen. Is it good? I don't know. What did you, did you read anything about it? No. I just wrote it down. <laughs> That's it. National Film Registry. Again, pretty much nailed it here. Mm-hmm. Nashville, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Jaws, Rocky Horror, Dog Day, and a movie called Hester Street. Interesting. Which I'm not familiar with. Me neither. Um, Hester Street. I got to imagine Monty Python's going to make it on there. Eventually. One yeah. of these years. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I want to say one more thing about the year, and yes. I think this will sort of be a thematic through line for us. And I, actually, I saw a lot of this in all six of these movies. Mm-hmm. 1975 is right after Watergate. Yeah. Like the Watergate trials ended uh, in 1974, 
America had sort of made the transition to uh, to 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 optimist from optimistic to skeptical. Oh God! And inherently distrustful of authority and mm-hmm. American government. Um, the Vietnam War was was ending, I believe, in 1975. Like we had finally pulled out. It, I don't think it officially ended until it was either 75 or 78. Okay. I think, it, but it, again, I it was fifty-five to seventy-five. I could be wrong, though. I thought it was sixty-five to seventy-five, almost. No, I think it was a full twenty years. I don't know how long our involvement was. But That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Um. So this was right in the heart of the anti-war movement, and I think you see in all six of these movies a real spirit of rebellion and uh, and anti-establishment to a degree. Yeah. So. Some, some, Keep that in mind. Well, some like obviously, sure. some are blatantly that, and then other ones, uh, in, in a sense, yeah. you, could, you could derive that meaning. Sure. So that is something to keep in mind as we talk about this first movie on the list. How do you like that order? You like that order to go in? <laughs> yeah. I, I want to save the the, the juicy yeah, stuff. Yeah, to yeah, the yeah. End. Okay. 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 Yeah. So let's start with a movie that was assigned to both of us: Three Days of the Condor, mm-hmm. directed by Sidney Pollack. Yep. Director of Tootsie and Out of Africa. And Jeremiah Johnson, starring Robert Redford. Of course. Based on the novel by James Grady, starring Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, Cliff Robertson, otherwise known as Uncle Ben from the Spider-Man movies. <laughs> could not help but think that. Of course. I could, it's, he's always going to be Uncle Ben to us. I'm just like, hey, oh, it's Uncle Ben. Every time they said his name, whatever, what was it, like like Harrington or whatever in the movie? I was just like, eh, it's, that's wrong, dude. With great not, power comes great responsibility. It's, it's, it's Uncle Ben. Get it right. And uh, Max von Sydow shows up as well. Love that guy. How do you not? A bookish CIA researcher finds all his co-workers dead and must outwit those responsible until he figures out who he can really trust. Great premise. Nominated for Best Film Editing at the Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. Adam Hall, what was your reaction after watching it this afternoon? Oh, that's right. It's fresh in my brain. Uh, I think it was interesting that Sidney Pollack directed this because I because I was thinking of like like Michael Clayton, yeah, a little bit, which was, he produced, didn't he? Yeah, it's like oh wow, like there's a lot of parallels going on here, like a lot of parallels going on here. Yeah, and I kind of love this movie. Wow, yeah, I thought, love. I thought this movie was awesome. Wow, I mean, if if not love, like a, maybe a step below. It's pretty damn close, but I thought this was a pretty awesome, taut little thriller that we we got here. That's surprisingly not very confusing, aside from a detail here or there. But for the most part, I'm I was pretty in this. Like, I guess one of my uh, slight criticisms with like Michael Clayton, even though I really liked Michael Clayton, was that I was like, wait, what the fuck is going on half the right. time? Whereas this, I I found it pretty pretty clear. And they, I don't know, maybe it was just through what what they were giving Robert Redford's character, it just all made a lot more sense to me. And uh, aside from the the romance with Faye Dunaway's character, which I felt was completely unnecessary. Uh, yeah, I thought a little more than unnecessary. <laughs> I thought like kind of offensive. <laughs> <laughs> kind of offensive. Yeah, I, I was, uh, yeah, well, continue. I was kind of put off by it too. Yeah. yeah, I was like, what the fuck is this doing in the movie? But no, for the most part, I was just like, this movie is is awesome and it is genuinely thrilling and it, it, it gets, it, all, it, it has all the pieces in place properly. It gets all those elements right that it needs to get right and it's it's like yeah i don't really have much to say about it that's all that negative aside from that one little detail i i I don't mind robert redford in this as well okay so yeah and we'll get to that whether or not we 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 agree on that because we usually don't uh (laughs) very good point uh but no for, for 
I, again, like it's. Uh, I, I just like movies like this too. You know, like I do like, too. They remind me of like The Fugitive. I do too. Again, like it's it's just there's whenever there's a sense of urgency to the story, and if the characters stop, they're screwed. Right. Which I was sort of just talking about with Chernobyl. Uh, it just it just works for me. It's just an awesome, thrilling, exciting experience. Yeah, I love so, spy yeah. thrillers too. I just yeah. like spy fiction. But another reason why this was so interesting to me is because in the realm of like a spy thriller, it's the most like down to earth in the dump spy thriller I've ever seen. I appreciated that. too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a movie, as I said, about a researcher. So he works for the CIA. Technically, he's a spy, but he's really just an office guy. Yeah. He's he's a step above a secretary. Yeah. And so he's sort of the original John McClane in that he's just a (laughs) regular action star that is th- maybe Jack Ryan is a better Jack Ryan is almost comparison. exactly like that too yeah. yeah except Jack Ryan for for whatever reason finds himself in like Rambo-esque scenarios right so. they the movies get absurd more absurd as they go along but yes the the fundamental purpose of the Jack Ryan character is that he's a researcher that becomes an action star unwittingly um what's the best Jack Ryan movie by the way I have read October thank you yeah is that a question some people might say Patriot Games no, no. stop knock it off um so, yeah, I appreciated that. I am not 100% with you with Redford. Um, you just I, hate Redford like, in I general, do. though. I yeah. kind of do. Yeah, no. yeah. I First of all, I think he's too attractive for this role. <laughs> so that's a problem. He's one of the dudes where his attractiveness is distracting. Mm-hmm. Very, very distracting. And I think even Faye Dunaway has said in interviews about this movie that the prospect of getting kidnapped by robert redford is not that terrifying <laughs> so, yes I and that sort of explains her character motivations in this movie and why she is so willing to give herself into his sexual desires is that he's fucking robert redford yeah and he's a, a beautiful man so that sort of operates in stark contrast with what his character is supposed to be mm-hmm. which is a bookworm yes um so i had a hard time buying that I just don't find him particularly charismatic or charming. And this is a movie that relies on his charisma and charm throughout. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of thought he was a bit uh, klutzy. Okay. I don't know. That's that's how I felt about it. Um, However, I, I agree with you. I thought the direction was fairly taut, which is good. I thought it was thrilling. Um, I, was, I don't consider Sidney Pollack like a master of suspense. So I was impressed at, at how engaged I was. And how fast paced mm-hmm. the movie moved. Um, but yeah, that whole romance thing really put me off. Yeah. And that's a big blemish. Mm-hmm. That's a major blemish on this record here. It's not like like fulfilled all the way through. I mean, they do abandon it. They kind of have they do. to. Yes. So it's not it's not pervasive throughout the film. And I kept wondering I, I think it's just because I could feel it coming as yeah. well. Because at first it's like the the romance is really only one scene. Yeah, but it, there, there's something about it. Like whenever, as soon as he's introduced to the character, it's like, oh, like you can just kind of get a sense that that's exactly what this movie's trying to do. And I was like, that just doesn't feel right in the story, right? And I, I don't know, especially when it actually does happen too. It's just, I'm just like, okay, movie, like, like we, we, I can't express enough how how we didn't need that. Yes, <laughs> it's it's one of the most unnecessary things about this movie. And even now, I'm like, what was the point? Well, I think the point is to get the movie made. I think that, like, there are a ton of these movies around in the 50s and 60s, -hmm. and it's very, the the story itself is very old-fashioned crime thriller. Yeah. But oftentimes they didn't cast massive movie stars in the starring roles, and I think the only way you get this movie made on a 
big budget yeah. is to put Redford and Dunaway in a room together having sex. Okay. I, that's just my instinct. I don't know. Because these two were massive movie stars in 1975. Oh, before this, uh, Chinatown came out. Yeah. Yeah, so. So this, I, I this mean, is at the height of both of their powers. Sure. So it's almost like if you put these two sexy people in a room together, they have to hook up. I don't, I, and, and my, my take is that uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily find Robert Redford to not be charismatic. I just, again, I just think for this role, it's a little strange why you would cast someone like him. Right. I don't know who you would have casted. Not not to say that there's nobody else who could have done the role or anything. I'm just like I kind of trying to go over in my mind who would have been a little better. Yeah. Even something like like Roy Scheider, honestly, sure. <laughs> would have been a little better. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. More of an everyman. Yeah. I think just a little less attractive and mm-hmm. a little more charming. Sure. Yeah. The so <laughs> Redford is two things that I hate. No charm in all looks. Um it's funny, we bring up the romantic stuff. I will say, I think if this movie was made now, the sexual politics of those scenes would not fly. No. Like, this movie would be boycotted. Um, It would be a Me Too firestorm. There is a scene in this movie where... So, the plot of the movie, if you haven't seen it, is that Redford, in order to evade his assassins, Mm -hmm. essentially kidnaps Faye Dunaway's character, holds her hostage in her own home... He tells her, listen, I work for the CIA and they're hunting me down. Mm-hmm. She doesn't believe him, rightfully so, because he seems like a lunatic. But then after a few hours together under candlelight, she just gives into <laughs> his sexual advances. And like she's like tied up. She has like the, she, he, he ties a scarf around her hands. Yep. And so gags her mouth. And yeah. All it's so he is, I mean, I won't say like he rapes her, but there's definitely like a rapey vibe going on. And it, it's just something that would not fly today. Oh, God. It's like scenes like this. It's like, especially when I rewatch Blade Runner, there's an, like the scene in Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, wow. Like, like living in, in the time that I do, like I, I would love to see them try to put a scene out <laughs> right. that's like this. <laughs> so. Right. Um, I agree with the same thing here, too. I, I was just like. It just felt out of place. Like, Very it, dated. Oh, it, and it would piss so many women off. Yeah. No, no doubt. So it's kind of funny we bring up the romance. You have not seen Out of Sight, correct? No. Right. So Clooney and Jennifer Lopez talk about the romance in this movie in Out of Sight. Clooney brings up the romance from Three Days of the Condor, and Lopez's character calls it dubious. She says, no, that would never work. And it's funny because Out of Sight is another one of those over-the-top romances where Clooney is... A fugitive from the law mm-hmm. and Jennifer Lopez is a cop trying to chase him down and they end up like having a love affair and falling in love although they're on the opposite end of the law um, okay. but that's done in a very self-aware way yeah and this is clearly not done in a self-aware oh, God, way no 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 um, but it's kind of funny how out of sight while doing that very trope is making fun of the trope <laughs> from this movie a little um, more acceptable I suppose out of sight incredible by the way you need to say. All right. Um, so, uh, oh, yeah. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, according to the Russo brothers, inspired by this film. They said this was one of their main inspirations when they were directing it. Okay, I can kind of see that. You have the agents in S.H.I.E.L.D. attempting to destroy S.H.I.E.L.D. from the inside. A lot of similar stuff going on with the CIA here. We won't spoil exactly what's at work. Um, Is that why they cast Robert Redford? Robert Redford was even cast in the film as an homage. So there you go. Okay, there it is. 
It was also parodied in an episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> Kramer is trying to cancel. <laughs> he's trying to cancel the mail. Essentially, he doesn't want to receive any more mail from the post office. Is that what that is? Right. And so there's that one scene where Newman is dra- uh, driving past him in the mail truck, and he's like, "This is how it's going to go." A mailman that you know, perhaps you trust, is going <laughs> to offer to give you a ride. They almost quote that scene word for word. Um, <laughs> that Wilford Brimley comes in as the postmaster general. <laughs> I didn't realize until I watched this movie. It's a Seinfeld uh, oh, parody. Funny. So there you go. Uh, Three Days of the Condor. I agree with you. I liked it. Yes. I didn't love it. I'm not doing backflips. Nah, I'm not doing backflips either, but I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, I did too. Okay. Next. The winner of Best Picture. Mm-hmm. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Directed by Milos Forman. Good job. Thanks. Based on the novel by Ken Kessie, starring Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher, and a bunch of character actors that you will surely recognize, including Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd. As I said, swept the 1975 Oscars, winning Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Only twice has that happened before, and that includes the movies It Happened One Night in 1934 and Silence of the Lambs in 1991. Mm -hmm. Those are the three movies. Also nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Score. A criminal pleads insanity after getting into trouble again and once in the mental institution, rebels against the oppressive nurse and rallies up the scared patients. What is your relationship to this movie, Adam Hall? I saw this movie. When the hell did I first see this movie? I, th- I must have saw it at my house at some point. My parents probably rented it. And uh, I think I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, I think at that time, I was like, uh, like, like, Jaws is 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 phenomenal, and all those other good things, and you know the movies at the time I was kind of aware of, and Dog Day Afternoon. I was like, these are all f- fantastic, fantastic movies, even Monty Python. But I hadn't seen this one until late. This is uh, aside from the other two, this is the film I think I saw last. Okay, I want to say I saw it last. I'm not sure, but um, and uh, I re- I remember watching it and just being like, hmm, okay, like like. I, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> right. As far as my feelings for it, it's like, wow, I think I know where this is going. All right, good, 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 good. And it ends, and I'm like, that's like a new top 10 favorite film for me. Yeah. yeah. The ending pushed it over the edge that much for you. Yeah. And not only that, it's got my favorite performance. Whoa. Jack Nicholson in this movie, I think, is my favorite performance by an actor. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Whoa. Did not see this coming. Yeah. I could. Yeah. Oh, man. We're going to have a fun time debating this year later on. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I love him so much in this. It's it's almost an undescribable what he's doing. Wow. I think it's really, really brilliant. I didn't know you felt that strongly about this movie. I love this movie, man. I love this movie so much. This is another one of those ones where it's like it comes down to it. I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I love Jaws, but I fucking love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I love everything it says thematically and what it talks about and the need to break away from authority and that kind of thing and how important Randall's character is and how much you can learn from him and also how much you can learn from all the, you know, quote unquote insane people in this film. Yeah. And it's just wonderful, man. It's just, it's, I couldn't imagine telling the story better. It's so right. And it's heartbreaking, but it, at, at the same time, it's, 
it's very, very satisfyingly so. And that ending is just perfect. Yeah. One of my favorite endings ever. The ending is a gut punch. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. It elevates the movie like a half star for me. Yeah. I think it gets bumped up from like four and a half to five just based on that ending. Yeah. Um, I will say the first time I saw it, I think I expected something that it was not. Mm-hmm. I was, I guess, and I don't remember exactly what age I saw this at, but I was anticipating sort of a dour, depressing, uh, gritty, insane asylum movie because I would imagine most insane asylums are not happy places. Mm-hmm. But the movie is a comedy drama. You know, it does balance elements of both. And although that ending is horribly bleak, I guess we won't spoil it for those that haven't seen the movie. Um, although it, uh, makes you, you know, uh, like go into an emotional coma for the next four hours. <laughs> what came before it is very funny and personal and inspiring. And as you said, I think it's because of Jack's performance. Mm-hmm. I think he just elevates it. There's something about his charisma. And this is often, I think, under the underrated part of Jack Nicholson, because at this point, in his career, and I know it's like very late in his career, but we sort of think of him as the guy at the sidelines of Laker games. You know, he's got that smile. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Everybody has the Jack Nicholson impression, and he's sort of a caricature of himself at this point. Yeah. But his movie stardom is a is a is such an asset, especially in a movie like this. Yes. And you forget how much of a talent that is being the center of 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 a of a fun ensemble cast mm-hmm. and being a movie star in a movie that does not necessarily beckon for a movie star but still he's very welcome in this movie um, yeah and so he's great on two levels mm-hmm. he's charming yeah and you love following him around and you love watching him as an on-screen presence <laughs> but he's also a damn good actor in this and his character is so well realized and so lovable in many ways. Mm-hmm. Well, he's the kind of person that you know just... Uh, he, 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 I mean, we all have those people who don't like to take things too seriously. Yes. Ever, ever, ever. And it's very... It's, it's for At least in my experience, it's, it's all the more shocking when they actually do have to break free of that and actually get in your face about something. Right. And he's very much that character, especially towards the end. And I love, I love the... Like, the <sighs> There's something so relatable about that, especially with someone like me who, from you know, frequently I don't take things very seriously. But I don't either. No, but when people have seen yeah. me get like mad or something like that, it's just like, whoa, oh my right. god! Like this is not you're not supposed to get mad at him. It's exactly, that, it's that kind of thing. Oh and my I'm, god, I've encountered the same thing. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I I don't like it when people say that, but right. it's like, no, guys, like I I I'm gonna take this shit seriously when it's a problem and. That's uh, pretty much all his character represents throughout the throughout the entire movie, especially when he decides to strangle Nurse Ratchet. I love that outburst. It's, yeah, it's. I'm not saying I would ever strangle someone, but I get the the, the emotional shift like that that he has to go through. And just th- there's so many moments like that. I I, ugh. I love I love when he's just uh, uh, telling people to get, give each other cigarettes mm-hmm. and just. I I think it has to do with just how grounded he is in the realm of this craziness and how it, even though like it's Jack Nicholson and we think of him as as this insane guy all on his own how he kind of grounds everyone else. <laughs> you right. Would, it's funny cuz you wouldn't think that Jack Nicholson would be the guy to ground everyone else. 
but he he does kind of phenomenally. And I think that's just because, well, at least when I started watching it, I didn't see Jack Nicholson as that kind of person. Yeah. I just saw him as, you know, like Frank from uh, The Departed. Okay. So. He wasn't the Joker for you no. at that point? No, actually he was Because not. he probably was for me. For, for most people, though, I think. And then then you see this and you're like, oh, wow, he th- like this is Jack when he was just kind of like a regular guy, really. Right. But a really charming and fun and funny guy. But at the same time, knew when to kind of let loose when he had to. Mm. And it's just you just love the guy for that, too. He's just he's such a real hero who gets, you know, has sort of a tragic end. You know? Yeah, I 100 percent agree with you. A lot of the characters in this movie are shockingly grounded. And it's yeah. a movie that on the surface um, I, as I said before, you have a certain idea in your head of what this movie is supposed to be, and you imagine a character like Nurse Ratchet, for example, yeah. is just going to be a monster, and, and in many ways she, she is, is a, a monster, monster. Yeah. but she's an understandable monster, mm-hmm. and she's a monster in the way that like an overbearing mother is a monster. Yeah, She's not a monster in like a Dr. Kevorkian sense, <laughs> which is an important distinction. Like In many ways, the movie is about uh, how overbearing um, institutions can be. Oh, yeah. And how the rigidity of rules sometimes has its benefits, but in many ways does not. Mm-hmm. And it is right in line with what I was saying earlier about the 70s. There's a real skepticism towards authority. Mm-hmm. And Nurse Ratchet to me has always symbolized mom. Oh, God. It's like, you know, no, mom, I'm not going to listen to your rules. I'm not taking the medication. I'm not going to get in bed by curfew. We're going to go out. Go on a boat, drink a lot, and have sex with some hookers. Yeah. You know? And that to me and and here's the thing though, there's a there's a give and take in that relationship. And the movie doesn't shy away from that give and take. No. Nope. And at times acknowledges that Nurse Ratchet kind of has a point. Sure. And that she's just trying to do her job to the best of her ability. At the end of that movie, when she does the thing that uh, as you said was a emotional gut punch to a specific character. She says the line, we cannot shy away from our responsibilities. We cannot pass this responsibility on to someone else. So the implication there is I'm not doing this because I'm sadistic and I want to hurt or damage another human being. I'm doing it because it's my responsibility to do it. (laughs) And that to me is such an interesting portrait of evil. Mm -hmm. And that's the type of villain that I want to see in a movie like this. Because you get it, like you said, but it's it's it drives you insane. But that's kind of the point. I love the notion that even though this authority does have a point, sometimes the fact that it does have a point is what's going to drive you even crazier. Right. It's like especially when Billy's like, "Yeah, don't tell my mother this thing," right? Because he knows, like, "Oh yeah, like I fucked up, and if you tell my mother, I'm fucked." Yeah. And it's just like, oh god. And then she's like, "Yeah, no, I have to. It's 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 my responsibility. It's the rules." And then what does he do? You know. <laughs> Man, Nurse Ratchet. That is a name that I throw around a lot. It's sort Everybody of, throws it around. I yeah. love it. It's, I, it's, it's become an adjective. Because mm-hmm. there are so many... You're a Nurse Ratchet, yeah. Yeah. There are so many Nurse Ratchets that I know in my life. All women and uh, most of them mothers. Actually, all of them mothers. <laughs> most of them mothers. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I know any mothers who I would consider a Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> I could name like five off the top of my head right now. Uh, I don't know if I well I don't know if I could go that far okay like like Nurse Ratchet is a real cunt 
Yeah. As as Jack says. Sure. She's kind she's, of a cunt. She's not great. Nurse Ratched, number five villain of all time on the AFI list. That's fine. <laughs> this movie also made number 17 on the 100 Years 100 Cheers list of the most inspiring movies of all time. With the sink? No, just inspiring. Oh, just, oh I thought you they're meant... saying the movie is inspiring. I thought inspiring. you meant like moments. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, they're saying the movie is okay. inspiring. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I, in some ways. Yeah. Double-edged sword there. Was named in the initial AFI Top 100 list the 20th best movie of all time. Okay. And then moved down to number 33 when they updated the list 10 years later. I might not have even moved it. Yeah. I love this movie. I think it deserves that spot. Wow. Um, I will say this. The, the more I've spent time with the movie and thought about the movie, mm-hmm. the portrayal of mental illness is... Um, I, I won't use the word offensive because I think like the movie is respectful of that sort of thing. It does seem a bit one dimensional mm. because the movie is more of it, it uses mental patients as a metaphor more than anything else. Yeah. And it sort of implies that Jack Nicholson being the cool kid with a motorcycle mm-hmm. can cure someone of a serious mental disorder. And I mean, in like the chief, for example, yeah. learns to talk after Jack Nicholson convinces him to, and Billy stops stuttering after Jack convinces him to, and I don't know. Something, the, the more I think about it, the more that seems a little less right, and it it's not as nuanced as, again, if the movie were made today, it would be. Um, I don't want to count that against the movie too much, though, because I don't think it's the point. Sure, no, and that's the other thing. I don't really care when movies do choose to use an extreme. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually more of an, a, a proponent of that just because it makes a, a clearer point to me, and it's usually more cinematically appealing in that way. Yeah. I just like it when movies actually go go all in with it. But um, what's that? I, was, I just had an idea in my head about his character, but I, I just, I just kind of lost it. Okay. Shit. There goes the train of thought. Yeah. Choo-choo. Fuck you. <laughs> but no, yeah, this movie is is, ugh. is another one. Like, I don't know what else to say about this movie. I just think it does pretty much everything everything that I want would want it to do. It does kind of right. Yeah. It's, it's one of the more satisfying films I've ever seen. A few more things. Yeah. Just have some notes. So Kirk Douglas did the role on Broadway. He did? Yeah. Okay. So he was trying to get the movie made. He, wait, he did this b- before the movie? Oh, yeah. Oh. 64. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he and I think he did it for a number of years and rave reviews on Broadway. All right. He tries to get the movie made, can't get it financed. He gives the rights to his son, Michael Douglas. Yeah. Who then goes to studios, scratches and claws for enough money to get the movie made. When he finally gets the rights, this is the story that I've heard. I'm not sure if this is entirely true. Kirk expects that he will be cast in the leading role. His son Michael says, "No, dad." You're too old for this movie. <laughs> We're going with Jack Nicholson instead. And I'm pretty sure that decision damaged their relationship for a number of years. Really? Right. Because Kirk perfected this. I mean, he made this role famous. He gave this source material uh, a national audience. And I don't even get to star in the film version. I'm Kirk Douglas. <laughs> you know? All right. So I think that that's just an interesting story. That's uh, kind of funny. Um, he was almost 60 at the time, Kirk was. So, so it went to 38-year-old Jack Nicholson instead. I see. Poor Michael Douglas. Poor Kirk Douglas, rather. Yeah. He's done enough. He's fine. I think you're right. Fucking Spartacus. He can live. <laughs> you're fucking Spartacus. You'll be all right, old man. <laughs> uh, 
The author, Ken Kesey, of the novel, which came out before the Broadway version, did not like the film adaptation, said he butchered his novel. Uh, he did not appreciate the fact that the movie was told from Jack Nicholson's perspective and not the chief's perspective mm-hmm. as the novel is told. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I love the chief portrayal in this movie. Me too. I love that character. My uncle has a nickname. Everybody in my family calls him chief <laughs> yeah. because he's like six foot three mm-hmm. And I, I guess he was like playing basketball. You know that scene where they're playing basketball. Oh yeah, did he have? And the chief just dunks on yeah. the guy and starts like sashaying away. <laughs> it's one of the, that. It's an awesome image. He was playing pickup basketball at the Y once, and he was so tall, and he was like sort of sashaying to the hoop and not hustling to the hoop. <laughs> and so the guy at the Y nicknamed him Chief, and that nickname has stuck ever since. <laughs> so that's good stuff. there's a little anecdote for you i love that character me too near and dear to my heart mm-hmm. uh i agree with you it's an awesome movie it's a it's a classic yep bona fide classic one nitpick not a huge fan of the boat scene though not a huge fan okay that's fair yeah i, so won't, I won't totally even disagree with you there okay it's it's generally more interesting when they're inside the hospital but I, again that's primarily because of nurse R- uh, ratchet i think yeah it's great okay moving on Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Right in your wheelhouse. Oh, right this now. this is my wheelhouse. This is the Adam Hall wheelhouse right here. Directed by Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones, written and performed by Terry Gilliam, Terry Jones, Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin, otherwise known as Monty Python. That's correct. Nominated for zero Oscars that year. King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table embark on a surreal, low-budget search for the Holy Grail, encountering many very silly obstacles. That's a description. Yeah. I think it's accurate. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) This is, technically speaking, the second film, feature-length film, Mm -hmm. made by Monty Python. Their first movie was called And Now for Something Different, which is a compilation of yes. Monty Python sketches. Yes. This movie was conceived between seasons three and four of their classic sketch comedy show, Monty Python's Flying Circus. Um, and uh, yeah, there you go. This movie was funded by a number of angel investors, including... The rock bands, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, and Genesis. Interesting. They helped get this movie made. All those English people, they wanted this shit, you know, to get out there. Understandably so. Yeah. So this is sort of Monty Python's first movie. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's the Monty Python film. Yeah. More than anything, it's sort of overshadowed and now for something completely different. Yeah. I mean, I mean, because I mean, I don't think I was even aware of now for something completely different for the longest time. Yeah. Honestly. So, yeah, I think it like when I thought of Monty Python, I thought this was like where they kind of began. Right. Because in, in at least in the cultural mindset, this is you know, sort of like, I mean, you, this is all you really need almost. Yeah. You know, you, it, it, there's a, there's sort of a, a consensus that goes around like, yeah, you can watch the other movies, but if you don't see Holy Grail, what the hell are you doing? Yes. Yeah. You're right. It is their staple. Yes. It is their most famous movie. And I would say, quite definitively, it's their best. Mm-hmm. And I think it's their funniest. I don't think I laughed as hard the first time I saw Life of Brian or uh, Meaning of Life. Meaning of Life is pretty funny, though. Meaning of Life, I find hilarious. Yes. Um, this movie, I saw it in high school. I adored it. I quoted it a lot with 
a teacher of mine in high school. He's a big Monty Python fan. Loved this movie. So this was one of the movies that my friend group just quoted. Oh God, incessantly. Me too, though. No, no, no. This is maybe my most quoted film. This is my favorite comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's up there for me for sure. This is my number one favorite comedy. I think this. Uh, this is yeah. It's the funniest film I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the, the the only comparison is like Airplane. Honestly, wow. Yeah. Uh, and this yeah this thing is this is my kind of comedy though where it's like I mean it's stupid as fuck but it's like good stupid it's smart stupid it's the kind of stupid where it's like i have no idea how you would even start right. i don't know how the inception of this joke even comes about like exactly where, how i love jokes where it's like how the how the hell do you even think of this how did you arrive at this punchline it's just like it's amazing yeah. and a lot of people don't give it enough credit because it is so ridiculous yeah but it's like guys i mean actually sit back and, and examine this joke I could can you honestly tell me that you would have come up with something so clever right the swallows the knights who say knee even the little things, like like it, it, both of those things, but also like how they fulfill like the swallow, how literally in the scene right before they go to, to put the witch on trial, right. there's a guy tying a coconut to a swallow <laughs> and just lets it go. And they don't, n- no mention of it. It's like... <laughs> I just it's incredible. I You're right. It. No, it does pay off in that way. Yeah. A lot of jokes they let simmer for a little while, and mm. they're called back in. Okay. You know, of course, with the scene with the troll and the bridge, mm-hmm. they call back the swallow thing too, and it just all goes full circle. Oh, and it's so clever. there's the joke with the cops mm. chasing oh. down this production of the movie, and they for and, no reason though, like right. they don't even really set it up. It's just there in the movie, right? And they just like I think it's just because of their style. They just expect you to accept it, and you kind of do, right? I, I don't know why that works, like because in, in another movie it would not work at all, right? But there's just something about their attitude and their irreverence towards anything logical that just makes it work. It's surreal humor, right? You know, and that's kind of what makes it more more acceptable for me. Yeah. As, Especially with that ending. Sure. <laughs> God, I love the ending of this movie. And I also think it's important to draw a distinction from Monty Python and most British comedy. Mm-hmm. Because I know, I guess I've, I've softened on my stance a little bit. But when I first saw this movie, I was not a fan of British comedy. Oh, God. And it's I, I'm just like more into self-deprecation. I'm not a big fan of watching a comic tell you why they're smarter than you. Uh, I... It's interesting you say that because I don't feel that way at all about about these movies. I feel per, like I, no, per, precisely right, and that that's my point. So I think when I first heard of Monty Python and I knew them as a British sketch comedy troupe, mm-hmm. I assumed that what we were about to watch was more witty than funny. Yes, that is not the case at all with Monty Python. No, um, and it's what I appreciate so much about them. They're incredibly transgressive. Yes, they love breaking the form more than anything else mm-hmm. they are they sort of resent um the idea that british comedy is supposed to be intellectual even though these guys are brilliant dudes like if oh, you God, listen yeah. to them talk oh, they God. are in most rooms the smartest guy in the room mm-hmm. um but they allow themselves to be silly yeah and at many times allow themselves to be stupid and i love that man i love that rebellious spirit <laughs> and it's another Again, it's very 70s. It's another element. I think yes, it's, I agree. it's one of the defining movies of the 70s for that reason. They just let like they just let their uh their their better judgment fall by the wayside. 
and they just made a movie that they thought was funny. Funny was put before everything else. Yep. And that's what comedy's about, man. If Mm -hmm. you're not laughing... It ain't good comedy. Yeah, and I always say that too. It's like, guys, it, it, like I don't, I don't care if it's ridiculous. Is it funny? Right. Who then? Who cares? Exactly. <laughs> yes, it's funny. It's Jerry Seinfeld's line. It's like we put funny when we were writing Seinfeld. We put funny before everything else, before character, before logic, before story. Is it funny? That was, and then you can talk about the other stuff. Yes, but you have to pass that eye test first. Yep, I agree. And so you have, you know, a bunch of stupid stuff like the like, coconuts oh with God. the horses galloping it makes no sense at all. It's and even, so absurd. And I think even when they were explaining it, I think the reason behind it was just because they couldn't afford horses. Oh, 100 percent. And it's like, all right, well, what can we do with this? It's like, what are we going to have people just galloping with coconuts? Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> that stuff's great. The, the, and then the famous uh, Black Knight. Yeah, Tis But a Flesh Wound. Oh, uh, good stuff. Really dumb slapstick, broad yeah. comedy. I love it, though. The opening credits, like how they play around with the opening credits, and if they you, say, we fired the guy that f- tried firing the other guy. And if you like read them, too. I love the subtitles, too, right. which, which are just as hilarious. In Norwegian or whatever yeah. they are, yeah. And then how the film ends... It's like uh, they're about to accomplish their goal. There's going to be this epic uh, fight scene, and then all of a sudden they're arrested by the cops. Cut to black for five minutes. With just music and no credits playing. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) What? Like, if I'm in the theater for that, (laughs) could you you imagine the people? Like, if if I'm the the comedy troupe, like, watching these people, I would just get so giddy at watching everyone slowly leave. (laughs) Like, wait a second, is the movie over? (laughs) It's it's such a great troll. It's right. such a great final gag to play on the the, the the people who went to see this thing. Oh, but it's like I it's like wow, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you you could never get away with that today. But the fact that you could never get away with that today just makes it all the more special to me. Like like could you like think about that though? A movie that ends with no credits, just a black screen, just to fuck with the audience. <laughs> How do you not love these guys? It's great. Man. It's one of those movies, if you're like younger, let's say you're in high school, maybe you're 14, 15 years old, and you haven't done the deep dive into Monty Python. Oh, God. I think it really works for a younger generation. Oh, man. Um, And that's what I appreciated about it when I first saw it, and I think it holds up. And I've referenced this movie, even in some of my own work, I've referenced this movie quite a bit. Yeah. But uh, most famously, I think the, the, the people who have kind of followed in their footsteps is South Park. And I've said that before. Hmm. Very inspired by uh, all of Monty Python. Yeah. And you can see it. Sure. Yes. So, yeah. Great movie. Uh, we are an hour into this podcast. Okay. And we are but halfway through. Before, we're, before we get through, can I pee? I'm going to explode here, man. Sure. I'm, I'm going to run to the bathroom. Go pee. We'll come right back I with mean, the back half of the class of 1975. <laughs> all right. How was your pee? It was uh, it was delicious. Oh God! <laughs> and, and we'll just leave it at that. Let's move on. Uh... <laughs> Dog Day Afternoon is the next film on the list, directed by Sidney Lemay. Lemet. Are you sure? Yep. Positive. Positive. Okay. Who made you the pronunciation police? Is what I want to know. I did. And you're positive on that. I'm positive. You've heard Sidney Lemet say, "My last name is pronounced Lemet." Yep. Okay. Based on a magazine article. Starring Al Pacino and John Cazale, mm-hmm. amongst others. Yep. One Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, and Best Film Editing. A man robs a bank to pay for his lover's operation. 
which turns into a hostage situation and a media circus. Yep. Adam Hall, this is my favorite movie on the list. It's, uh, ooh, is it my favorite? It's your favorite movie on the list? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. By a long shot. Wow. By the way. Seriously. Yeah. Holy crap. No, I love this movie. It's maybe my favorite uh, Sidney Lumet film. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Explain. So, I saw it, like, maybe, like, five, six years ago, um, and it knocked my socks off five to six years ago, for sure. Um, And I... Every time it's on TV, like I, I flip it on. I've, I've definitely, yeah. With the exception of Jaws, this is the one that I've seen the most mm-hmm. of these six. Um, I was researching for this movie. I was preparing my notes because I have a couple bullet points. Yeah, and I was reading Roger Ebert's review of this movie, and he reminded me of some of the great moments in the screenplay. Yeah, and um, like I was just. I was just like moved reading about the movie and yeah. listening to the plot getting recited again. And uh, I was just reminded right then and there, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Like it's truly incredible and it's everything that I want out of cinema. It okay. really is. The script is so damn smart and it's because it pays so close attention to its characters. The two characters at its center Sonny and Sal, played by Pacino and John Cazale, are so well-defined mm-hmm. and so well-realized. And although some of their actions and some of the events of this movie seem absurd on the surface, you buy it because you buy these characters. And you fall in love with these characters despite some terrible actions on their part. Sure. I'll say this. I'm going to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it. So... Fast forward like 10 seconds if you don't want to hear this. At the beginning of this movie, Sal, played by John Cazale, says, listen, Sonny, I am prepared to shoot all of these hostages dead in order to get away. If it comes to that, I will do it. (laughs) And then at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, Sal gets shot in the head at the airport. Yep. And you cry. Oh, God. Yeah. You ball uncontrollably. That's great filmmaking. It's showing you a horrific character at the beginning, one that you see very little of yourself in, that you find a hard time sympathizing with. In many ways, he's a monster, or at least his intentions are monstrous. Mm -hmm. But by the end, you see him as a fully realized person, and that's a miracle. The fact that these two characters, especially in 1975, by the way, were as lovable as they were is a miracle of cinema. It's it's magic. It is what movies are put on this earth to do, to put you into someone else's shoes, to see the world from their point of view, and to love those that are different than you. Um, these characters, on the surface, there is very little to sympathize with. But by the end, you just you fall in love with them, similar to the hostages that yeah. fall in love with them in that bank. I agree. It's incredible. It's everything I want out of a movie, man. It really is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sold. <laughs> I'm going to go see this movie. I've already seen it. But no, I'm going to go see this movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's fit- fucking, it's, it's incredible. What do you want me to say? Here's what's, I- let me give you some of my favorite moments from the script. And Roger Ebert reminded me of some. And I'm like, I just, I, I got chills when, when he wrote this down. Remember when the guy, there's a third burglar at the beginning of the movie? And yeah. he, he pushes out at the last second? Yeah, that's right. And Pacino's like, hey, Stevie, don't take the car. 
It's like he's like, I gotta get out of here. How am I gonna get home? It's like, don't take the car, Stevie. It's just such a great character moment. The pizza guy that comes in oh, and he's God. like, I'm a star, mom, a star because <laughs> I'm on TV. He's so excited to be delivering pizza mm-hmm. to these bank robbers in the middle of a hostage situation. Sal getting offended when the TV networks call him gay. Oh, yeah. The wife on the phone with Sonny. Sonny's asking why they didn't go pick him up at the bank. Mm-hmm. And the wife is like, I couldn't find a babysitter. <laughs> That's right. The guard at the beginning who almost passes out because he has asthma and Sonny getting all stressed out because this guy might die on his watch Mm -hmm. and he so cares about those around him. These characters have such a big heart. They have a heart of gold, although they are outcasts and criminals. Um, So easy to love. And that's the key with this movie and why the script is so smart. Mm -hmm. Um, It subverts all of your expectations. This movie makes traditional villains into heroes. I agree. Um, in such an interesting way and it's so tense and so engaging and so well performed as you said earlier jack nicholson is your favorite performance in any movie yeah i think al pacino in dog day afternoon is my favorite performance in <laughs> wow. every movie oh cool I, I i really believe that this is by far and away his best performance in anything yeah, it's probably. the most overlooked performance because he's scarface and he's the godfather and uh and you know serpico Mm-hmm. There's a lot of iconic roles that Pacino has done. Um, this, to me, is what I think of when I think vintage Pacino. Oh, it's just firing on all cylinders. Yeah, in this, this is movie. him at the height of oh his power. Oh, my God, it's fantastic. So much charisma and a lot of the stuff that you see in his later work, but in such a restrained and nuanced way. Yeah, well, he's so pathetic in this movie, too. Yeah. This is why I love the character so much. Is like, As opposed to, uh, I mean, they're sort of set up like traditional villains, but as a as it unfolds I mean pretty quickly you know that these guys are essentially just like schlubs yeah. who just feel so desperate and want to get out of this place and so desperately want what they what they've set out to get and when I, especially with, with uh, Al Pacino and his lover yeah. and all that other stuff and just how different that is and like you said for the time like the, the fact that this character even exists in the 70s right. is remarkable sure like so, transgender was not a word being thrown around in 1975 no so the hero of this movie again, is a bank robber who has stated his intention to kill all of his hostages Mm -hmm. and is attempting to rob this bank to pay for his gay lover's sex change. Yep. What? In 1975? What? Like, if that's not transgressive, I don't know what is. And the make... Here's the thing, though. The fact that you feel for him as much as you do, it makes a... I'm wondering... I'm thinking about it from the perspective of someone who sees this film in 1975, who, who you know, someone who's, I mean, everyone's against this shit right. at that time. Well, it's just, it's not even like they're against it. It's just, it's unfamiliar. Yeah. I mean, it, it's almost like you, you, you don't have a well thought out position. Mm-hmm. It's just freak show shit. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. And then by the end of it, you love these people. It's like and, and the fact that you, you realize that after the fact that they, it, the movie got you without even knowing it, without you even knowing it. Yep. It's it's yeah it's incredible, yeah. like you said it's it's pretty much what filmmaking does. It, it's what filmmaking's meant for. It's 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 really smart and really effective. Yeah, Sidney Lumet directs the shit out of it. He always directs the shit out of everything. I yeah. love Sidney Lumet. I think one of could he be the most underrated filmmaker of all time? I sure he's underrated. Yeah, I mean I don't hear him come up a lot in like he's not listed with Coppola and Marty and Spielberg and Kubrick. Like those are the name and Hitchcock. You always hear those names. I don't hear Lamette in that conversation, but no. he's made just as many classics 
I would argue, as some of those men. Is it just because he's stuck to New York? He never went to L.A. for anything, maybe? I, I, you know what I think it is? He's a chameleon. True. I think he gets out of the way and allows the story to speak for itself. Mm-hmm. And Martin Scorsese, um, Kubrick, Hitchcock, not those type of guys. Sure. Like, they are the stars of their own movie. But in something like Dog Day Afternoon, you would never accuse Sidney Lumet of getting in Pacino's way. He I allows guess. Pacino to be the star of that film. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I mean, like, this dude made 12 Angry Men. Oh, I this love dude made Serpico. Hey, 12 Angry Men. So Network. Good. Yeah. Bro. He's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think he's top 10 for sure, right? I would put him in my top 10. I was going to say that before, too. But yeah. yeah, I agree. Maybe we don't hear about him as much as we should. This is also a movie that I, I don't talk about with as many people as I probably should. Because I don't think enough people have seen it. Yeah. More people need to see this movie. It's it's incredible. Number 70 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Thrills list of the most intense, suspenseful movies of all time. Number 86 on the movie quote list Okay. with the phrase, Attica, Attica. <laughs> Do you know what that's a reference to? Isn't it a reference to someone who was killed? So it's a reference to the Attica prison riot of 1971 in which a number of inmates were killed by guards. So it was a chant of anti-establishment and uh, anti-authoritarianism. I see. um, So it's an interesting poll. They never explain that in the movie. It's just this uh, this sort of symbolic thing. Tell them to put the guns down. (laughs) Attica, 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 put the guns down. And then the hostage, the cop, who's great. I'm blanking on the actor's name. I always forget his name, too. Who plays he, the cop. He's and he's like, though. what are you doing? Put the guns down. What are you doing? <laughs> he, like, falls in love with Sonny as well. Yeah. How could you not? That's the point, though. Yeah. It's great. I love the the line, once we're done with this, we can go anywhere. Where do you want to go? Wyoming. Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming's not a country, Sal. So. That's, that's the line. What Any special country you want to go to. It's so great. Wyoming. <laughs> You know what that dialogue was? What? Improvised. Was it? Yeah. I love it. John Cazale came up with it on the spot. <laughs> Man, what a great John Cazale performance. Yeah. Dude, that guy was great in everything. He was only in three things, though, wasn't he? I think five. Five things? He was in five things. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right? He was in both Co- Godfathers. Conversation. Conversation. This. Uh, Deer Hunter. And Deer Hunter. Yeah. All five nominated for Best Picture. That's right. Good run. <laughs> and most of them won, right? Deer Hunter, Godfathers. Both Godfathers. So I guess, yeah, that's most of them. Yeah, three out of five. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, it's better than me. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Uh, And dated Meryl Streep in her prime. That's Oh, he did? Yeah. I think think they were dating when he died. Oh, wow. I think so, yeah. They met on the set of Deer Hunter, I think. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, Incredible in this. What a great actor that could have been. Like... You still consider him one of the great character actors of all time, even mm-hmm. though he had like a five-year window, I know. which is unbelievable. As I said, the ending is a gut punch. Oh, God, yeah. Um, the movie says such smart things about that generation of young person and their view of authority. Also has a lot of great stuff to say about the media and America's obsession with the media and the mm-hmm. vanity of most Americans. In I, I think in many ways... Because Network and this came out back to back, and Sidney Lumet directed both of them. Um, I often see Dog Day Afternoon as a more subtle approach to what he's trying to say in Network. And in many ways, that, like, 
network is is soap operatic and over the top, and I know you don't mind that, but sometimes that rubs me the wrong way. You can say those exact same things in a scene like when the hostages are watching the TV and they're mm-hmm. waving at the camera and saying, hi, mom. No, sure. You know, the pizza man scene is a more subtle way of expressing America's obsession with television news. Yes. Um, that's so that's why I consider it to be the superior movie. Maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do have a deeper love for network. I love network. Yeah. But again, I just I, I, I just like how to, to the point that that movie is as opposed to this. Not to say that this movie's bad. Like, again, I can't, I can't or its approach is even bad at all. I can't, it's, it's always annoying talking about this because it, it literally just comes down to taste mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that one's better than the other it's just sure. like oh i like this better than this sure you know yeah this to me is just so character driven oh god I love so it. smart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so funny so suspenseful it's everything i want in a movie i think it might be in my top 10 yes it's that fair. good this uh, is a good year because we're getting to another movie that'll yeah absolutely in my top 10 Right. We'll talk about how high the next movie Strong is. Strong year, yeah. man. Yeah. 1970. Well, top heavy year, I should say. Yeah, yeah. We did. We figured out that it's not necessarily perfect. Yeah. But the top is, uh, man, three to four bona fide classics. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to that next movie then, uh, shall we? Jaws. I'm actually having trouble talking about movie. I, f- I feel like shit. Oh, dude, boy. perk up, dude. I feel like shit. It's your favorite movie. Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a tiebreaker with Alien. Yeah, the, these <laughs> are the top two, right? <laughs> I go back and forth with with this and Alien frequently. Uh, again, when, when and I've said this before about Alien, like it always makes my top five, no matter what what mood I am in, I'm, I'm in on any given day. Jaws is what you know. Jaws makes it into the top three any given day, no yeah. matter what mood I'm in. As to, as does Alien. So yeah, uh, I, I this this is this is a film that changed me when I first saw it. It's one of the first movies I ever saw as a kid. Uh, but again, even to this day has still left an impression and I've since gone back and rewatched this film well over 200 times and I'm not, Whoa! I've seen this movie more than any other movie in my entire life. Oh my God. And that's 200. Not, oh God. Easily. Easily. <laughs> wow. I see, I see this film. I've seen this film, uh, like five times already this year. I see this film on average five times a year. Wow. And, and you know, I'm. I'm I'm 24 now, and there are years when I've I've just watched it like endlessly throughout the summer. So yeah, I I love I love everything about Jaws. I mean, we'll get into to specifics, but I just again a movie that is infinitely better than it had any right to be. Right on the page, this is a movie about a shark eating people, mm. and miraculously, it's very personal and very character driven and you love each and every one of these people you love spending time with them and you feel for them and their journey is just so stressful and i i as far as like constructing a a thriller this is maybe my my top example yeah i don't know if uh, this is a movie that is so thrilling and and terrifying that for me it goes over the edge and becomes a horror film Mm. Which is why I, I frequently—I mean, a lot of people debate me about this, but I think it just just on on, on the sheer fact that this literally made people afraid to go back into the water. Yeah, and that's a real thing. It made my my mom scared of water. Right, like she was afraid to go and take a shower. Yeah, <laughs> I push back a little bit just in terms of tone, mm-hmm. like which I kind of agree with. You know, just stylistically, especially in that third act, it yep. plays more like Moby Dick mm-hmm. than it does Alien. Yes, I know. Um, so. It's one of those things where it's like, you know it when you see it. Yeah, I know. And so I wouldn't necessarily, you know, knee-jerk reaction say this is a horror movie. But I understand there are elements of it that are certainly horror-driven. Directed by Steven Spielberg, based on the novel by Peter Benchley, 
produced by Richard D. Zanuck and David Brown. Yeah. Who produced a movie we just talked about two days ago on Why Is This a Thing? A much better film called Check out that podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so funny that it, he, they also directed the movie Sugarland Express, which was Spielberg's first movie. Have you seen it? No, I have neither not. have I. It's not. It's like a lot of people don't even recognize it as his first film. Okay, it's kind of funny. I mean, it is his first film, but most people kind of cite Jaws as like the Spielberg film. Sure, of course, stars Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfus. Yep. When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer (laughs) to hunt the beast down. Yep. As I mentioned earlier, nominated for Best Picture, but also won Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Score at the Oscars. Highest grossing movie of all time until Star Wars came out and broke that record. Many, I should say all, Acknowledged that this was the first summer blockbuster and came to define how movies would be produced in Hollywood to this very day. One of the most important films ever made, for better or for worse. Sure. Uh, In in many ways for worse. Yeah. But can I talk about why this movie wasn't nominated for Best Director? Sure, go ahead. Like, does that make sense to you? No. No. This is the best directed movie I think I've ever seen. <laughs> like, and I, and, 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 and I'm not kidding. Like, when you watch this movie and you actually break it down scene by scene and just how perfect the direction is to elicit a very specific response, it's like, I can't, I mean, and I say this a lot, but I really cannot imagine it being any more effective as it is in Jaws. Right. Like, I watch this movie every single sequence of that shark going up or behind someone's legs, or the, or the build up to a, to a scare, or just the build up to a little fun, nice character moment. Just to, everything. It's film school. Everything right? about you, this movie. You watch this movie and it's film school. Like, yes. Spielberg, again, for better or for worse, is a master manipulator. Yeah. Like he knows exactly where to put the camera, Mm -hmm. exactly when to insert the music cue, exactly when to fade the music out, exactly when to stop and start. Yep. He is a master craftsman in that way. And it's become a neutered version of that as the years have gone on. And I think many, including us, have accused Spielberg of losing that artistic edge. And sometimes you need to break the rules in order to be a successful and important filmmaker. And the problem is that he is such a rigid rule follower that it works against him. But in this movie, it was something no one had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, they make this mechanical shark. All of his buddies, the, uh, the the George Lucases and the Spielbergs of the world, get together, construct this mechanical shark. It keeps breaking down yes. in the middle of the ocean. They made like three versions of it, right? Yeah. My my parents have pictures of it when they were on Martha's Vineyard during the production of the film. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Your parents were there. Yeah. Right. So the shark keeps... That's crazy. The sharks keep <laughs> breaking down and they're like, how do we shoot this movie mm-hmm. without it looking really tacky and fake? Because yep. our shark isn't working the way we want it to. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what you do. You don't show the shark for an hour and a half and you strap like canisters to the shark and you track the location of the shark, and you understand that the shark is there without seeing it. Yep. It's brilliant. Oh, the dock scene where it oh turns around God. is scarier than anything. Like, like if I'm to pick, like, top scariest movie moments, you have to put that in yeah, there. Yeah, when he's it, dragging the dock with him. It, it gives me chills every to this day. And, like I said, and I'm not kidding. I've seen this movie well over 200 times. It still freaks me out, man. 
that again, it's and the fact that it can still have that like that um, level of resonance. Yeah. With how many times I've seen this movie is unheard of. Right. Movies simply don't do that ever. Right. And the fact that this one can do it, it's just like, yeah, no, I don't think you could have gotten much better than that. I don't like it's it's so especially with everything that went wrong in making this movie. It's so weird how the end result is perfect. Yeah, it was a chaotic <laughs> production. Oh, God. for sure. Yeah. Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus hated each other mm-hmm. on set. And that sort of led to their on-screen chemistry. And yeah. it, it, it was an adversarial relationship on screen. So it worked. But uh, Robert Shaw had like a drinking problem at the time. Oh, yeah. Serious drinking problem. He often showed up drunk. They went way over budget, past schedule. Spielberg almost got fired by the studio like a bunch times. of times. By the way, way over schedule. They went 100 days oh, over schedule crazy. making this fucking movie. <laughs> it's nuts. And a lot of it, Spielberg admits this. You would know more than me because you've done a lot of the scholarship on this. I've actually been to a screening with Richard Dreyfus. Wow. Yeah. Like, from what I understand, Spielberg was just making it up as he went along, right? Sometimes, yeah. Like a lot, like he did not. I mean, obviously, he knew how to make a movie. He had just made Duel, and that was a big hit for TV audiences. Um, but a production like that, where you're out on the open water, mm-hmm. and every shot is handheld, yeah, and a lot of times you're shooting from the perspective of the ocean and underwater. It's like you got to make up a lot of that on the fly. You can't storyboard that in a writer's room. Well, he's famous for being good at not storyboarding a film, too. Yeah. I mean, having that sense of immediacy and spontaneity in a film is something that he's kind of mastered. That's why, I mean, if you, it's hard to believe, but uh, Saving Private Ryan was not storyboarded. That's nuts. That's crazy. <laughs> not a single thing in that movie was storyboarded. And That's when you crazy. watch that movie, it's like, yeah, this, it, it, it's, with, with that in mind, and this is why I hate it when when film film nerds criticize Spielberg to a certain extent. Sure, where it's like they're they're willing to say he's not one of the best filmmakers ever. I'm yeah, like, that's insane. I'm like, that's an insane take. Literally, all you need, <laughs> okay. First of all, he's one of the best filmmakers ever made because he managed to finish Jaws. Sure. And if you know anything about that production, only the best of the best could do that. And he didn't storyboard Saving Private Ryan. I don't understand how that's even possible. Yeah, I think um, it's. It's just an example of nerds trying to be contrarian. Um, again, we're we are big critics of Spielberg too. Oh, we, yeah, and oh, we've I done many Spielberg yeah. podcasts, and I see a lot of those criticisms. I do, yeah. But to not acknowledge his impact on the filmmaking industry, and to not acknowledge how great he was God. over a long stretch of time. Oh by my the way. God! Yeah. It wasn't like a ten-year prime. Like some people, like Tarantino, for example. If we really want to get down to brass tacks, there was like a 15-year run, and that's it. Spielberg did this in 75, did Schindler's List almost 20 years later, and that's a top 10 movie of all time, perhaps, and then does Saving Private Ryan in the late 90s, and does something like Catch Me If You Can in the 2000s, like spanned multiple decades. It's a really long prime, and is still making, I would say, pretty good stuff. Yes. Not great stuff. Obvi- it's not like world-changing stuff. Ready Player One is a solid movie that is well-crafted and, and as I said earlier, um, subscribes to a lot of the traditional rules of filmmaking in a, in a really smart way. Because yep. there, there are rules for a reason. Because they work. That's the thing about Spielberg. He has become a bit neutered and it's been sort of factory mode for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. But... The factory is running, and it's and it's running well. And it's, it's an efficient, efficient factory. It's an yeah. efficient factory, exactly right. And that's why they he uses it time and time again. Yes, I agree. So, 
I, uh, I would love it if we got another Spielberg like this. Sure. sure. Oh, like Jaws? Oh, my God. <laughs> God. Fucking incredible. It would. Um, and, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I, and I was just going to say, I can't go without saying just the performances and the characters in this movie. Tremendous. Elevated to a level that it would never have gotten otherwise. Yeah. Uh, you can just uh, interpret this film as a guy going through a midlife crisis, yes. interestingly enough. And I just love that about the film. The fact that it does have that human edge to it, that some films just don't. When they're just about a monster being a monster, it's like you know what uh, this like and you know I've I've said this a thousand times. I just said it starting this again. But when a film like this is much better than it has any right to be, I I think it's it's there's something far more admirable. Uh, there's something far more admir- admirable about it. I can't talk uh, only because it feels like it's accomplished like a greater feat to me. I do recommend that you listen to our podcast on the movie. S- S- Don't yes. say it, hiss it. Uh, we did that on why is this a thing? A similar movie. In that it's high concept yeah. and involves a monster of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a thriller, kind of horror, but it's not played for laughs. It's like a no. straight um, and produced by the same people. There is a world where Jaws is just a campy uh, mid-budget monster movie. Yep. Um, but it's because a master filmmaker is at the helm that it's elevated to to another level. And as you said, the characters are so well-defined. Oh, I love Richard Dreyfus in this I think Roy Scheider has become somehow underrated. Yeah, um, I agree. Richard Dreyfus is sort of the showier performance um, in that he's the bookworm and the, the marine biologist. And certainly Robert Shaw has so, become a caricature as well. Oh but that, that entire monologue where he's talking about the Indianapolis is maybe my favorite monologue in film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love it. It's, <laughs> there's so many great moments, man. Yeah. There is. The two of them singing uh, uh, We Want to Go Home mm-hmm. um, as, they're, as they're getting drunk on the open water. Um, there is so much subtext in this movie and perhaps that was the intention of the filmmakers. Perhaps this is what we've read into it over the last 40 years, but I see a lot of stuff about fatherhood. Oh yeah. Um, your responsibility to the next generation. There's that great scene where the shark or where the two kids have the shark fin. Oh yeah. Scare the people off the beach and everyone in the water starts trampling over each other to get mm-hmm. out. Yep. And that's sort of like a surprisingly cynical read on survival instincts. And it happens though. Self-preservation, which you don't often see in a Spielberg movie. Like generally that guy's pretty optimistic. Yep. Um, but there's a glimpse of some real evil stuff in the spirit of men that you see there. Uh, I often read the shark. I, one of the, the great pieces of criticism I ever read, and I, I wish I could cite the source because it's way smarter than anything I would ever come up with, um, said that the reason why the shark is scary is because at the beginning of this movie, there's a topless woman swimming around on the open sea, and rather than seeing the scene from the perspective of the woman, you see it from the perspective of the shark, Mm -hmm. and there is something sexually alluring about that woman, and it almost makes you sympathize with the shark. And it, there's an there's an added layer of horror to it. Yeah. It's not just a monster from the deep blue sea that comes and eats children. It's something that is, in a perverse way, relatable. Yeah. And he's actually a fully realized villain, that shark. No. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's a, oh, that's a freaky-ass read on it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it gets you in touch with your human instincts. <laughs> sure, for sure. That's the best horror, when it's all too human. Absolutely. That That is why, by the way, AFI named the shark the number 18 villain of all time. 
the movie quote, you're going to need a bigger boat. Number 35 Which on the I, movie quote oh list. Oh, God, I said that. It's, it's so many times as a kid to the point where I was just obnoxious. I was known for saying that as a kid. Now, the story is that it was an improvised line. Is that right? Yeah. I read that somewhere. Okay, yeah. that's nuts. There's a lot of improvised. There's well, because Richard uh, uh, Dreyfus was talking about how how much of it was actually improvised too. Okay, there's quite a bit. Well, one of my favorite examples of an improvised scene, though, is something that he wasn't in initially. It's when uh, uh, Roy Scheider is doing the things with his kid, where he's going like that, right, and like crossing the. Finger. They're mirroring each other. I yeah. love that. But again, Spielberg was it's my just, favorite scene in the movie. They're just like, oh, oh, what are they doing in, in the corner here? Get a camera right here. Just, just film them. Yeah, he was doing yeah. a lot of this on the fly. Yeah. It's a miracle. It, it's an absolute miracle. Uh, also, the John Williams score, number six film score of all time. I don't even, I think it should be even be higher. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows that fucking thing. And number two on the 100 years, 100 thrills list. Take a guess. What was right in front of it? 100 thrills? Yeah, the most thrilling movies of all time. AFI. Number one? What was the number? <laughs> thrilling movie of all time. Oh my God. I I don't know. Psycho. Psycho. That's uh, it. Okay. Psycho and Jaws. That's what AFI says. It's pretty impressive, Jaws. On the all-time list, number 48, and then number 56, when they updated it 10 years later, I think it's too low. Yep. I agree. All three sequels sucked. The second one's fine. Not good, but... Never saw. It's fine. We only saw part four with Michael Caine. Part four is offensively bad. <laughs> Michael Caine is in that movie. Oh, my God. What a bullshit movie. And three is just, three's funny bad, by the way. Mm. Um, so there you go. That's Jaws. If you haven't seen it, you know it anyway. Yep. I think that's part of the magic of this movie. And if you haven't seen it, shame on you. Nick Evangelista. Yep. Bastard. Didn't show up. Yeah. Little cunt. Didn't come to class today. What a piece of shit. It's the Matt playing hooky on this podcast. Hate him. We hate him. He's the worst. The worst person. You (laughs) can't find time to watch Jaws. (laughs) Dude, I had it on in the background this morning when I was doing research. Yeah. I just, I can watch that movie endlessly. I'll always put it on. Yeah. Question Spielberg's best movie. Is it his best movie? Yeah. Question for you. It's my favorite Spielberg movie. Uh, God, I don't know. Man, I want to say I want to say Schindler's List, but there's something about Jaws that I don't think he's ever he's ever come close to. What do you think? I think Schindler's is objectively better. Yeah. Um or I should say subjectively better. Yeah. And I think ET is objectively better for me. Better film than Jaws? Yeah. Yeesh. That's why I would do it. Ooh. We'll talk about that another day. <laughs> ET. But Jaws is 3. What the fuck? Jaws is three. E.T.? Get, dude, come off your high horse. No. Come off your high no. horse. No. Cannot wait. What's the matter with you? Cannot wait for that podcast. Oh, man. You are not going to win that one. That's <laughs> not even the third best film of that year. Stop. It may be the third best. Knock it off. All right. We have one more to do. This was our second homework assignment. Yeah, it was. It's called Nashville. It's called Nashville. Nashville. Nashville by Robert Altman. Nashville. Yeah, that's right. Man, you're salty. Yeah. Well, you're, you're real salty about this know, maybe movie. Maybe not. Starring a bunch of people. Yeah. Among them, Ned Beatty, Keith Carradine, Shelley Duvall, Lily Tomlin, Scott Glenn, Jeff Goldblum shows up. Um, I can go on and on because there are a total of 24 major characters in this movie. <laughs> major? Yeah. Major to main characters. Okay. 24 total. Okay. Um, none is the quote unquote star of the movie. 
Um, and it also includes an hour of musical numbers and various interwoven storylines. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress, twice over for Rene Berkeley or Blackley and Lily Tomlin. Also nominated for Best Director, one Best Original Song. That song being I'm Easy, written and performed by Keith Carradine in this movie. Interesting. Okay. Uh, over the course of a few hectic days, numerous interrelated people prepare for a political convention as secrets and lies are, are surfaced and revealed. Oh, boy. You have the ball, sir. All right. Let's... I'm going to go in my little corner and listen to you rant. Well, let me... No. I, I mean, who knows? Maybe I maybe I, I had some positive things. Well, we have been texting back and forth, by the way. Yeah. Well, let me try to be as nuanced about this as possible. Um, well, so I hated this movie. <laughs> oh, wait. I was supposed to be nuanced. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I couldn't stand this movie. I didn't like anything about it. I thought it was the most boring film I've seen in quite a long time. I did... I didn't see how this movie was any different than walking into a Walmart. <laughs> wow. And that's my review. Metaphor. That's my review. <laughs> what are you rethinking the movie? What now? a great metaphor. <laughs> no different than walking into a Walmart. All right. So let me explain this. So this was a movie neither of us had seen. So I'm sure most listeners are not familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie, as I said, 24 main characters, a lot of stuff going on. Kind of. However, not much plot going on. There's no plot going on. Yeah. Not the, that that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. It'd be nice if I wasn't kept at such a distance from the characters. So the movie is almost shot in like documentary style. It yeah. sort of felt like that. Oh, God, yeah. Um, And I think Robert Altman, on the set of the movie, implemented this new sound system and I, I don't know how often this was used on, on sets, but it allowed multiple people uh, to be picked up at the same time. Uh-huh. So do, uh, conversations could uh, be taking place concurrently, but separate from one another, and the viewer could hear them both. And you could feel that. Yeah. So it did sort of feel like a weird political documentary. And I watch a fair amount of political documentaries, and it... Um, Wiener, for example, from a few years ago, it felt a lot like that, mm-hmm. where you're just sort of in the room and you're listening to these people just talk and you're observing them from a distance. And as you say, you never really get to settle down with any one character no. and spend time with them and have like a character moment. Nope. It's very meandering. Yep. Um, and it, it there's a lot of cross cutting and there's a lot of movement. Um and I love that metaphor because, yes, it's like going into a Walmart, observing, but never quite getting to know. Nope. Um, and I might have liked that if this movie wasn't two hours and 40 minutes long. It, yeah, it's also two hours, 40 minutes. It's also a musical in many ways. Actually, yeah, it's a musical. Bad music, by the way. Didn't help me at all. Well, the music was written by a number of the actors. The actors only performed the... They were only allowed to perform the songs if they wrote them themselves. Oh, boy. So that gives you a glimpse into that. Can I just say how much I hated the music in this movie? Well, are you a big country fan? No. Well, okay. Fuck country. Neither am I. I hated the music in this movie more than almost like, and I I was texting you, I skipped over these scenes. 
they were so bad to me. I I I, I couldn't stand it. it. It was so grating. I had to get over. I, it's like ugh. Like whoever played the 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 guy in the, the the white jumpsuit. What the hell is his name? He played the one of the Nazis in the Blues Brothers. Oh yeah, the older guy. Yeah, hated it. Hated it every time he was on screen. Har- Harvin or something. What? Harley. Something like that. Marvin something. Yeah. Really obnoxious shit, and his music is just oh god. It's making like me, the, it's the, giving me a headache. Just like thinking in the about recording it. studio where the recording studio when we made on, it two hundred years. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, I hate okay, it. That might have been the point, though. Every single musical number. No, but in that particular instance, that was supposed to be cringeworthy. I think. Could they like cut it short? I mean, there's there is. It feels half the movie is literally the music. And there's nothing to gain from it either than just listening to it and being like, this is America. And it's weird and quirky and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but yeah. Fuck this movie. So, um... Ugh. I got through an hour 15. It said... It, it, how long did it take you to get through it? Five sittings. Okay. Only <laughs> took me two. Um, got through an hour 15, fell asleep, um... I could just hear you in my head while I was watching this movie, um, which is never a good thing. I'm sorry, man. That's okay. Because I was actually like really feeling a lot of your criticisms. I knew exactly what you meant by those very brief text messages. Um, it's just... So I sat back down and I watched the second half. Um, this movie had me in a trance. Okay. It, it had me in a deep trance. And that's not always a good thing. But movies can sometimes do that. And not even my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. But there are some movies where I just watch them and the rhythm and the tempo just sort of lulls me in like I'm like I'm being hypnotized by a watch swinging back and forth. That's sort of the vibe that you get. Again, not always a compliment, but yep. this movie did that for me. And while I was you know, at the two-hour mark and approaching the last act of this movie... Um, I couldn't help but get emotionally invested. Adam, I really like this movie. Yeesh. It's too bad, man. I really like it a lot. And again, I was feeling a lot of your criticisms. And I understand them on paper. But by the end of this, I was so fascinated by the experiment. Um... I was so moved by these characters. There were a lot of moments that I just, I, I, I felt for them. Like the scene where the struggling waitress who thinks she's a, a, a musician has to strip yep. down in front of these men and she's turned into this sexual object. Or when Lily Tomlin, who is this housewife, who is a parent to these two deaf kids, mm-hmm has an affair with a rock star and then is immediately cast aside by that rock star in a very subtle moment where he just picks up the phone and doesn't even know who the next girl on the list is going to be. Um, it, it was just stunning, man. I really, I was moved. I was emotionally moved and I felt for these characters okay. and going into that final moment, I'm sure you didn't love the climax. Um, that worked for me on a, haunting level i won't spoil the end because like again most people probably haven't seen the movie but a very chilling thing happens it's an act of violence and it sort of catches you off guard but not really because there are allusions to it earlier on in the movie um 
But I just couldn't stop thinking about the political ramifications, what Robert Altman was trying to say about our obsession with celebrity, Mm -hmm. the utter emptiness of American politics, and the vanity that most of these politicians exhibit. There's this character in the movie. So it takes place, obviously, in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of country artists that are trying to work their way up the ladder. And there's this campaign going on because um, this convention is approaching in Nashville. And the candidate's name is Hal Philip Walker. And he is a candidate for the replacement party. And he's sort of supposed to be like the Ross Perot figure who is this third party candidate, uh, sweeps uh, America off its feet and represents everything that is supposed to be antithetical to American politics, but at the end of the day just becomes another politician. You never see him on screen. Mm -hmm. You only hear his voice. And I thought that was such a poignant way of expressing the problem with American politics. It all sounds good, but there's no real person behind the policy. I really dug that. And I, I thought it was a nuanced, interesting way of getting that point across. And the movie just felt really alive to me. Mm. I just thought there was a real spirit, really? a real energy. Ooh. I thought like the pacing, as you said, it's kind of slow, but it's not. It's it's this off kilter, uh, sprawling epic. And I, I was just really entranced by that. I thought it had a real life and a real soul and spirit. And I just felt like I was there hanging out with those people. And it takes you a while. It takes you a while to adjust. And it definitely took me a while to adjust. But by the end, I really felt for a lot of these characters. And there are some characters I'm never going to forget. Hmm. Lily Tomlin? How about the BBC reporter? What? The BBC reporter, who you're not sure is actually a BBC reporter. What? Who's like interviewing all that. Do you not remember the BBC reporter? What? You don't remember a BBC reporter in the movie? Man, you fast-forwarded through a lot of it then. Is she the one who's just, who just walks around the junkyard? Yes. Okay. But you're not sure if she's like a crazy person or an actual reporter? Yeah, who cares? Who gives a shit about Dude, her? I love these characters. Who cares about Lily Tomlin? Who cares about... Oh, Lily Tomlin is great in this movie! Who cares Lily about... Lily Tomlin is great! Who cares about Lily Tomlin? Capital G, great in who, this movie. Who gives Dude. a fuck about Lily Tomlin in this movie? Who gives a fuck? Dude, the scene where the father is like, what is he talking about their deaf son? Yeah, I don't What is he trying to say? Yeah, whatever. Like, he is so indifferent to the family struggles. Okay, but I could not have been less interested in anything that was going on specifically because of the way this film is shot and presented for us. I mean, the- Dude, you have to adjust to it. I agree with you. Stylistically, it's a bit foreign. I get it. The level, the level of distance you're kept from these characters. If I'm really supposed to empathize with them, like put me there with them, and I, I, th- I think that's the biggest issue with it is that I like you, you say you were immersed by it. I it was. I could not have been less immersed. It took me a while. It did. Do you it think took it would have been? Time. Do you think it would have happened if you had watched it all the way through? Um. Yeah. No, I do. Yeah, I do. I do think so. I think, like. I don't understand it, how you could enjoy these people. I mean, I, I, I mean, I disliked her more because she had an affair. So I'm just like, oh. no. See, I understood why though. Yeah. And the movie did, um, did it in a surprisingly efficient way. Like it, it didn't spend that much time because there's like 
so much real estate you have to give to 24 characters. Mm-hmm. It it has to convey these moments in a very short, succinct way. Um, Doesn't work for me. And once I fell into the rhythm, that's the key. I had to fall into the rhythm of the movie and get to know who's who and who's trying to accomplish what and their relationship to each other. Um, it's just... God. Once I once I got there, once I cracked the code for myself, I allowed the movie to take over. Jeez, it was impossible. I was it was physically impossible. I understand why, because again, I felt that way at the beginning, but it's, by the end, I really did fall in love with a lot of these characters. And it's too much. The, again, they also the, the problem with having this many characters is that it starts to feel forgettable. Mm. I mean, I don't think I'm going to remember anybody in this movie ever. The, I, this is the this is the most like dull whatever experience i've ever had i can't imagine watching this movie again you could not you cannot pay me to watch this movie over again the singer the blonde singer that gets her big break after spoiler alert another singer is shot like what that says about the music industry and it's just like next one up again but like telling me stuff that i'm very familiar with it doesn't help if it's like, okay, what, what's, what are you trying to tell me, movie? And again, this is the problem what comes down with movies. It's like, okay, if you have ideas, I don't care if your if your movie has ideas. You better you just have to make sure that you present those ideas in a way that feels compelling. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I just, oh god, like, and I mean, that's my my. I, mean, I can't believe I'm fucking talking about this again. But bringing up Interstellar, I mean, that movie has plenty of ideas, but just because it has ideas, it doesn't make it any fucking good. And that's the problem with this movie more than anything. I'm just like, yeah, like I see it. Like, I really do see it, but, like, you, you got to actually present that in a way that's, you know, at least somewhat engaging. I cannot physically engage with this movie. It's impossible. It's wow. impossible. I don't understand how you could like this movie. <laughs> and I'm dead serious. I'm like, what? What? I bought into the style. Okay. That's all it was, is I had to... It caught me off guard. <sighs> I agree with you. It caught me off guard in the first hour. But by the back half... Once you adjust, once you calibrate, mm-hmm. you can glean a lot of great character moments. And what I, I agree I saw, with you, at first seemed like it was it was a bit distant. Oh, I I got I I, I tried, man. I got like an hour forty five in it, and I'm like, I got to start skipping over these these musical scenes. I was all right with them too. Fucking, I didn't hate all the music. Fucking hated the music in this movie. It's just it's not, and it's not a pleasant experience. <laughs> it's just it's, you, and maybe it's not for me. This is about as... It's as, definitely a Nico movie, it's, no question. It's about as far away from Adam as you could get. <laughs> and it's just not visually interesting, even in the slightest. Like, that's the other problem. It's like, I'm not watching much in the way of, like, a cinematic experience whatsoever. I'm just... It's like a photograph. Yeah, I'm not with you. Yeah. I can't... I, I, I cannot... I don't understand how you could physically get there with this movie. Fuck this movie. <laughs> hated it i absolutely hated it which is a shame because i love a lot of other robert altman films so you know i love mash dude i love this i I, I love jesus i love mash i love uh mccabe and miss miller never saw very good so yeah mash is underrated just because the tv show is one of the best tv shows of all time Mm -hmm. but that movie is pretty is different in many ways but awesome i like it yeah uh yeah i just i I have to give it some more time because i just watched it last night I have to digest it a bit more, but some of these characters have not left my brain. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I dug it. I dug this movie's vibe. Fuck them. It worked on me. Sorry, it worked on me. Good for you. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay, I have a pretty clear idea of where this is going to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, 
we can ceremoniously do this. We can cross out Nashville. Yeah. Because you hate it. Yeah. Uh, we can cross out, cross, cross out three days of the condor, I think. Unfortunately. Yeah, uh, no, just I think it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good, but uh, not, not groundbreaking. Uh, I think we can cross out Monty Python. Ugh, it sucks, but yeah. Yeah, although it's a movie that we love, I just don't think it's as iconic as the other three movies. Um, and then we got to look at Dog Day Afternoon, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and Jaws. And our syllabus that we always follow is quality, legacy, impact. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, Adam Hall, there has been a movie that we've discussed so far on this podcast that has a fonder legacy or that is more impactful than Dog Day Afternoon. I'm kidding. Than Jaws. <laughs> I was like, what? Than, what? Than Jaws. And and I actually, as much as I like Cuckoo's Nest and Dog Day Afternoon, I just think by the rubric that we have set for ourselves, we're, we've painted ourselves into a corner, for, unfortunately. For all, for all counts, it's, it, of course it's Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> of course it's Jaws. What kind of question is that? It's And that's fine. And, and, and who knows? Maybe Dog Day Afternoon is better. Maybe One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest is better. But Jaws transcends all of that. Yeah. It, it Jaws is more than just a movie here. It is. It just is. And you, you can't discount that. You can't you can't look away from that. I'm sorry, but and I mean, it's not like we're picking the movie. Again, we're we're not going with the best picture winner. No, we're not. Which, which is fine. But again, we're maybe part of our job is just to make up for the failures of the Oscars. Sure. <laughs> Cuz that's a great failure. I mean, just just for the fact that that yeah, movie I wouldn't call it a great failure. <sighs> this isn't Dances with Wolves over Goodfellas here. Fair. But it, at the same time, well, Cuckoo's Nest is a classic movie. Yes, I don't. I, I, I maybe I'm just speaking speaking there for that more than for the uh, for the direction more than anything. Yeah, it's a great, great wrong that the Academy did not give it to Spielberg. Did not even nominate him. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, this is about establishing the American movie canon. Yes, um, and as you said, it doesn't exist without Jaws. It doesn't we? It is by far and away the most impactful. Could be the most important movie of all time from a filmmaking point of view. There's a few. Uh, I guess Citizen Kane you put up. No, my, I, I think the most important film ever made is Seven Samurai. Okay, sure. Uh, but in terms of how movies are made on a financial level, yes, studio yeah. level, the, bis- um, the it's business all model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still, to this day, we're still doing summer blockbusters. Still, yeah. it's 2019. Exactly. I mean, Avengers does not exist without Jaws. Precisely. It just doesn't. It's fucking Jaws. Yeah. Everyone knows it. The imagery, the score, the quotes, mm-hmm. the scratching of the chalkboard. Oh, my God. Bad Hat Harry, for God's sakes, <laughs> is an iconic moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, please, man. I, I don't think there's any debate about this one. No, this was easy. This is an easy call. Congratulations to Jaws for your induction. We needed an, a slightly easier one. Into the movie Hall of Fame. Yeah, good job. All right. I am neglecting my sister's birthday celebrations. Good. To be with you. You're, so, good. You're a good brother. Let's do this real fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Next year, oh, or next week, I should say, the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Interesting year. Yes. I was I was uh, skimming through some cinematic years, and this one jumped out at me, because I think it's open to some debate. Ooh. So. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, this is interesting. Do you have a list in front of you? Yeah. Okay. Who wants to go first? I would like to, because I'm sick of you going first. No, I want to go first. I want to go first. You'll like my first pick. Fine. Go ahead. Almost Famous. Oh, wow. I do like your first pick. There you go. <laughs> 
Uh, I will go gladiator. Okay, fine. Who? Uh, no. Do I really want to nominate that one? <laughs> Do I really want to nominate that one? Oh, this is a strange year. I know. Hmm. Oh, Aaron Brockovich. I know. Damn. I'm far more fond of that than traffic, if I'm being honest. Okay. Snatch. I really like Snatch. If you say chicken run right now. Chicken run. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm no, it's bash your head in. Wait, oh, you said gladiator. Uh I guess I'll say crashing tiger, hidden dragon. All right. Figured you were going that way. That's fine. That's uh, American Psycho. Good. Uh because I I love Castaway, but I'm not sure. Damn. And there will be at least two snubs here. And we apologize in advance. I can't in good conscience nominate Requiem for a Dream. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, damn. Damn. There is a direction you can go. There is one. I'm not sure if you want to do it for the purposes of this podcast. Because I don't even think I want to nominate Snatch as much as I love it. <sighs> X-Men. All right. That was the direction. We can talk about it. At least. Yeah. Um, okay. Now you've left me with a decision, mm-hmm. haven't you? Um, oh, brother, where art thou? <laughs> uh, boy, I really like that movie. Oh, me too. Dude, Castaway could be like one of my most watched movies ever. I love Castaway. Dude, I've seen that so many times. I fucking love It's on FX Castaway. all the time. You could not. No, I'm serious. You can nominate it if you want. I'm thinking, well, you don't like Memento, right? I've grown to not care for it. It's the best. I don't care for it. Yeah, that's accurate. Don't care for it. Dude, I. Re- oh, damn it. God damn it. I know. All right. I'll go. Um, I'll go Castaway, but I, I reserve the right to change my mind. For Memento? For either Memento or Aaron Brockovich. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Those are That's what I'm debating. Okay. Yeah. We'll go Castaway for now. So that's the list. Temporarily. Here's what you should watch before next week. Gladiator. Castaway. X-Men. The very first one. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Almost Famous and American Psycho. One of those movies getting in the Movie Hall of Fame. Yep. I'm excited for it. Me too. This will be a fun one. You know, this is a weird year because I don't honestly know. There's not a definitive one there. I don't think there is. That's why I'm. Oh, this is kind of fun. Yeah. 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 I think we can go a lot of ways with this. Yeah, we could. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. I like that. Next week on the Movie Hall of Fame. Anything else? No, I'm fine. Check out the site. I'm going to raid your cabinet for some Excedrin migraine because my head's about to fucking explode. I don't think I have Excedrin. Oh, no. I'll get you some Advil. Oh, my head is... Dude, take some Advil. That's great. Killing me. I think I'm afraid I'm going to get up and throw up. Oh, no. I can't go see a movie like this. <laughs> Certainly not one with Mothra in it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's Oh, yeah. I'm going to see a movie with, with some <laughs> giant monsters and shit. I'm going to die. Adam's review of Godzilla coming next week. <laughs> uh, along with the class of 2000. Won't you join us then? Check out the site tmt.media or toomanythoughtsmedia.com. They will both take you to the same place. Subscribe to our podcast. Why is this a thing? Nico Show, Cultured, mm-hmm. all of the above. Check it out. Subscribe on iTunes. Rate and review the podcast there. 
Um, and that's it. You're at some Adam Hall. I'm at Funny Nico Tweets. That's right. And you can hear all of our film-related reviews and other musings. Mm-hmm. Mostly me screaming about the NBA playoffs. Ha-ha. I'm there. You fucker. Game one tonight. You got better things to do, Nico. No, I don't. Yes, you do. I definitely do. Go on a date or something. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Until next time. You're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs>